Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 349th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting in this eighth year across the world from Melbourne in Australia, where it is freezing cold. Uh, Back in sunny California, where I normally live, it's beautiful and warm. So we're shivering here. We're only one show away from my 350th show. 350 is a hell of a lot of shows. And I remember very clearly my very first show back all of those years ago. So I think it's um, pretty proud of it. It's a pretty good achievement. Now, cryptocurrencies are pretty new into the marketplace. They've been around a few years, but they're still pretty new to most people. And there's a lot of confusion about the difference between cryptocurrencies and tokens. So I want to try and explain to you the difference. A cryptocurrency coin refers to cryptocurrency that has its own blockchain and works independently of any other platforms, while a token refers to a cryptocurrency that operates and bases its existence on another platform, for example, based on Ethereum or Tron or VeChain or something like that. So here are a few of the specific differences that you you might find to be interesting. The first difference between coins and tokens is the structure Coins are essentially digital financial assets, like a financial asset, like a note. They're currencies in the real sense of the word because they're they're capable of being exchanged and you can trade with them. Tokens are also digital financial assets, but rather than being the actual assets themselves like the coins are, a token represents the actual financial asset, if that makes sense reflecting value upon entering the blockchain. So they're separate entities on the blockchain and primarily facilitate the creation of other applications that are decentralized. The second difference between coins and tokens is the infrastructure. So while crypto coins use a unique and independent blockchain for each of their variety, tokens can have several entries into the same blockchain. In essence, each coin has a blockchain completely independent of any and all other coins. It's not the same with tokens. There are instances where several tokens are built and entered into the same blockchain. So they're quite different. The third difference between coins and tokens is in their creation. In creating coins, there's got to be a complete modification of the protocol from scratch to accommodate the unique features of each coin, each individual coin. It's not the same with tokens. Creating tokens is so much easier because creating new tokens, you don't have to create new blockchains from scratch or begin to modify the codes that exist in a particular protocol because they're built on another blockchain. Um, All of the tokens being only representations of digital assets, they all use the same code and the same protocol 
upon entry of their values on the blockchain. So you can create a token with a few very small modifications of the protocol. And this is only true in a few circumstances. Now, there's also a big difference in the difficulty of creating cryptos and coins and, and tokens due to the need to have a separate set of codes and particular protocols in the creation of coins, irrespective of whether they're new or whether they're modified. The level of difficulty involved is much higher with the easy adaptability nature of token codes and protocols and the ability to have each new token entered on the blockchain using the same standard template, creating tokens is generally pretty easy and much more convenient. And the fifth difference between crypto coins and tokens is the platform for operation. Coins by their very nature are designed to operate by themselves independently. So it's an independent unit of value. Coins are therefore very much like banknotes that we use every day. And the ability to use cryptocurrency coins to trade as well as a unit of measure and exchange of financial assets is what makes it unique. Tokens, on the other hand, are not capable of being operated in isolation. They're not direct financial assets. They're only a representation of the digital financial asset. Therefore, tokens have to be used based on another platform, such as usually Ethereum, for them to exist and to operate at all. They are not capable of any direct entry on the blockchain. So I hope that that might clear up the difference for you. Um, so coins are themselves an item of value, where tokens are not. So Many people also think that it's too late to get into the crypto game. They think, gee, it's been running for a couple of years. We've heard all about these crypto millionaires and, you know, everybody's made their money already and it's a bit late for me to get in. Well, that's not. This is only just the beginning. We're right at the – where were the – where the internet was 15 years ago. We've now reached the point where many of the big hedge funds, the big financial institutions, the banks are now coming into the space. So I think the timing's pretty good and the prices are low at the moment and that's not going to be the case for too long. So um, if you're thinking about getting into crypto, I can't think of a better time to get in than right now. And um, also, if you want to know more about cryptocurrency, there's the um, Crypto Summit at the Los Angeles Convention Center in October, and it's an unbelievable event. They, um, they'll have about 160, 170 presenters over three days. They will have um, uh, every topic, every, every major person involved in crypto on the planet will be there so if you can make it along and at the moment i think tickets are about 299 dollars because it's still the early stages if you wait until closer the last crypto summit started at 199 dollars and as the event got closer went to a thousand and i think you'll find the same thing this time at the moment i'm sure it's about 299 dollars to get a ticket 
But if you wait much longer, it will head up there towards the $1,000. So do yourself a favor and get in early. You just go to cryptoinvest.io. So, oh, sorry, crypto summit best.io. <laughs> it's hard to say. Um, and get yourself a ticket. Do you get my every day? I put out a, a 30 second read business newsletter. Usually you can read it in 30 seconds, not always. Sometimes, depending on the subject, they might, might take you a minute. Depends on how fast a reader you are. We've got somewhere around. 1.8 million daily subscribers, business people right across the world. And uh, I think we're in about 60 or 70 countries. And every day we tackle a new, a new and a different subject from, we talk about um, advances in Hyperloop, in medicine, autonomous cars, blockchain. Um, in fact, today's newsletter is about the importance of teamwork and how to build a great team, and that's critical to any business. So um, I'll probably discuss that a bit further after the break, but if you don't get the newsletter, you should. You know, just imagine going out with a boss and his, and his wife and no matter what topic they talk about that's um, out there, it could be it could be financial. We, last week we talked about the um, uh, China financial situation and the, and the tariffs. So just imagine if you're out with a boss and his wife and every subject that comes up you've got a, an opinion on and you know a bit about, you're going to be in that boss's chair before long. So the more knowledge you have, the more successful you're going to be. And this world's getting more and more competitive. And so to, to be able to keep up, you need to get the Bob Pritchard newsletter. You just have to go to the website, which is bobpritchard.com and enroll. takes you half a second and if you wish to unsubscribe at any time just um, click on the unsubscribe button on the newsletter I must admit we only get one or two unsubscribes for every hundred people that enrol so but you might be one of those people who doesn't want to succeed and if you are just unsubscribe okay I've got a question for you see how good you are at this when you lose weight where does the fat go? I'm absolutely sure that the answer to this is going to astound you. Now, scientists have conducted a study to find out where the fat goes when you lose weight. And as part of their research, they asked health professionals what they thought. You know, how does fat disappear? Where the hell does it go? They asked doctors, dietitians, personal trainers. And they asked people right across the globe. And over 99% of doctors, dietitians, and personal trainers were wrong. So that's pretty extraordinary. And what other profession could 99% of professionals not have a clue about something that's fundamental to their business? I can't think of any. Most, um, most of the dietitians and fitness people said it gets converted into energy or muscle. And others said fat was converted... Um, goes leaves the body through the colon wrong none of those things are right with the rise of the wellness movement countless people are focused on burning calories and getting lean and fit one of the things i've noticed in melbourne in australia is 
how many people are jogging in the morning you get up early you know up at six o'clock and there's a million people jogging and there's all these people riding bikes and it's bloody freezing out there but so they're all losing weight have you ever thought about where the hell it goes i mean we we hear about people who lose 60 100 even 200 pounds of fat what the hell happens to 200 pounds of fat well the um of all the people that they asked across the globe, only three people answered the question correctly. A publication, The Conversation, um, explained the results of the research and like the health professionals they questioned, I think you're going to be pretty surprised. The most common misconception is that fat is converted to energy. The problem with this theory is that it violates the law of conservation of matter to which all chemical reactions obey. The law of conservation of matter states that the mass of an object never changes, no matter how the particles rearrange themselves. A lot of respondents, most respondents, believe that fat was converted into muscle, but that's impossible, can't happen. And another theory is that it leaves the body through the colon. That's also wrong. Fat is actually converted into carbon dioxide and water. You exhale the carbon dioxide and the water and the water mixes in your circulation until it's lost as urine or sweat. So if you lose 10 kilos of fat, 8.4 kilos, that's 85%, comes out through your lungs and the remaining 1.6 kilos turns into water. In other words, nearly all the weight that we lose is actually exhaled. So almost everything we eat also comes back out via the lungs. Every carbohydrate you digest and nearly all the fats are converted to carbon dioxide and water. The same goes for alcohol and protein. Apart from a small amount of protein that's turned into urea and other solids, it's excreted as urine now the only food that arrives at your colon undigested is dietary fiber the rest is absorbed into the bloodstream and organs after that it's not going anywhere until you've vaporized it so how many of you would have guessed that you exhaled all that fat you're losing very few i suspect now, today we've got another great interview for entrepreneurs. My guest is Tim Fargo. He's an entrepreneur and international keynote speaker, and he's a best-selling author. He's currently the president and CEO at socialjukebox.com, an app that eliminates the need to continually schedule your posts. and It actually just manages your content. It's very clever. And I'll be back with Tim after this short break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We're being broadcast right across the world this week from Melbourne, Australia, which is a fantastic hub for entrepreneurs. There are entrepreneurs and startups everywhere. This week we've been exposed to quite a number of them, and a lot of them are really brilliant. So I'll be back with you from Melbourne, Australia, in just a moment.
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Now, over the last five and a half, nearly six years, we've given you insights into the lives of over 300 of the world's most interesting business people. We've talked about what they do. And we try to find out what it is that makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business. And we all need to receive advice and assistance from those entrepreneurs who have achieved achieved success before us. We certainly don't need to repeat the mistakes of others. So the aim of this segment is to give you the knowledge to address these fundamental issues and to assist you to become successful. My guest today is Him Fargo. He's an entrepreneur, an international keynote speaker, and he's a best-selling author. He's presently serving as president and CEO at socialjukebox.com, a great name, I might add. I think that's, you know, that's one of the really good app names. And it's an app that eliminates the need to continually schedule your posts, and it manages your content. This is what I need, trying to trying to juggle content for my newsletter every day and the radio show and everything else, it's a nightmare. And the apps received loads of media dimensions, including Inc., Forbes and Social Media Examiner. Tim was the founder of Omega Insurance Services, an an investigative (laughs) firm. He started in an extra bedroom and sold his later for 20 million bucks. Tim, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard all around the world. Hey, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. That was a that was a very nice intro. I actually almost I almost got impressed myself, but then I realized it was just me. <laughs> Where are you at the moment? I am in Rudzow, Poland. In Poland, what's the weather like there? Blustery. It's uh, it's it's about. Probably 14 degrees and uh, and very windy. We we just had a, a pretty warm spell and then we had a cold front hit. So now we're it's a bit stormy, right. but otherwise lovely. Not bad. Yeah, I, I'm spoiled living in Southern California for so long. I'm in Sydney at the moment and it is cold. Well, cold for me anyway. 
Now, for our listeners that might not have heard about Social Jukebox, how does it work? Um, essentially, you put your content in, and each jukebox, so to speak, is a reservoir of content. So, for instance, somebody like you that's doing kind of you know broadcasting, um, <clears throat> you might have uh, your back catalog of um, shows and whatnot in one jukebox, and maybe you'd have some things that you, um, like maybe some blog posts you'd written in the past in another jukebox, because you maybe want to distribute those at different speeds. And then we have a thing called targeted posts, which is a more specific um, way to share content. And like if you had a new show, you'd put it there and then schedule it to transfer after a certain number of days. So essentially what it does is, if you wanted to create a media schedule, Right. You can automate that media schedule. So as you and then as you have new content, you can add it into the system. I mean, that's really the idea. I got it. Um, I had written a book, and that I mean, the whole product came out of. I got so sick of being on social media trying to promote the book. Yeah, I was like, I this is this, ta- this, this is taking way too much of my time. So um, I ended up contacting a friend of mine. He built the product for me. Um, and then I found out people were a lot more interested in my software than they were my book. So I was like, well, you know what? <laughs> Screw the book. Welcome to the software business. And, uh, and the rest is history. So, <laughs> How did you come up with the name Social Jukebox? It's one of those two o'clock in the morning, wow, moments, was it? Yeah, I mean, well, it was a combination of wow and like basically going through a list of possible names, um, like first doing a ser- search on what domains are available. Which is um, none. <laughs> <clears throat> well, none with, you know, it's like, you know, my granny's social media distribution system dot com. Yeah, none with um, any sizzle. Yeah, so you know, you you quickly eliminate a whole herd of names because they've been taken or parked or whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, <clears throat> lo and behold, it was available. We started out as Tweet Jukebox because in the beginning it was just Twitter, but now it's Twitter and Facebook everything, and LinkedIn. So yeah. How, so how did you become an entrepreneur? Did you pop out of college and go, "Aha, I want to be an entrepreneur"? Screw the boss. Um, I think it was more, I mean, from when I was a kid, um, I was cutting grass and shoveling snow and running errands for neighbors. I mean, basically, I was a little bit of a mercenary. I mean, if you had some cash and you had something that was legal, I would do it. Um, <laughs> so, <clears throat> and, it, and it, because my dad was, and it was also partly because my dad was uh, pretty tough to get a dollar out of. Um, so... But anyhow, I think it was born out of, I really preferred, I mean, because I had like a, when I was maybe 15, 16, I actually had a job. Um, and I much preferred just, if I cut someone's grass, I could go there, get the job done, and then just like take off. Right. Um, so my, my hourly rate ended up being much better than working as some, you know, uh, minimum wage earner at some store or whatever, you know, typical kind of student jobs. Yeah, I, no, I understand. Uh, so what was the first challenge when you were, when you went, what was your first, apart from cutting lawns and things, what was your first entrepreneurial role? What was the first thing you took on as an entrepreneur? Um, 
I would say the stagger step, the intermediate step, where I really kind of got back into it with any degree of oomph was um, I tutored people all through college. And um, it started out as just like like a tiny bit. And then it turned into I was selling blocks of time. You could get a discount if you bought 10 hours. You could get a deeper (laughs) discount if you bought 20 hours. And so, I mean, I actually was... I think my grades dipped a little bit because I was actually doing that so much. I mean, it was more like, obviously, it was solopreneuring. Yeah. But, um, and I went from that, and actually, this kind of segues into a, a great failure. Um, <clears throat> I decided, I had this idea to, um, this is when databases were new, right? right. I mean, it, they, sure. weren't, they weren't new, they weren't new, but PCs were new, and like having a database that was accessible to a normal human being was pretty new. Yeah. Um, so I had the idea, um, based on like when I had gone to the career center, it was horrible. It was like a horrible experience. So I thought, okay, I can have people put their resume into a database and then I'll market to employers. And instead of them doing on-campus recruiting, they can contact me and I'll get them the resumes they want from whatever university. And, um, I learned all kinds of lessons there. Um, lessons about the difficulty in introducing a new product, uh, lessons about, not knowing how to market a brand new product, lessons in being undercapitalized. Because I burned, I mean, I had saved from tutoring and stuff, I'd saved about 20 grand and I burned through every dime of it um, with with very close to zero traction. Well, there are all the challenges, all the challenges that you mentioned, are challenges that, you know, I speak to entrepreneurs every day and they're the same challenge every entrepreneur faces. Um, And, they're difficult challenges. They're not. Um, it's not easy to become successful if you're starting from scratch. And you know, there's a big world out there that's got to hear about you, and it's damned hard to communicate. Well, but this is something that I think is really relevant to the audience. I mean, if if people are somewhat agnostic, I'm pretty agnostic as to business type, which is how I did investigations, and now I'm doing software. I mean, to me, like I'm just interested in being in business. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, and especially a lot of young people, I hear, oh, I want to, you know, I need a great idea. It's like, well, you know, look, take a take a take a page out of Richard Branson's book. I mean, he doesn't really do new businesses; he out executes on existing ones. Yeah. And um, and that's a much safer, much easier way to do things. I mean that, and that was part of the problem with what I was doing. I mean, when I told people like. You put your resume in a database. They had no idea what I was talking about in 1987. Sure. Um, so, you know, I think that's one of the challenges. Like, if you're going to do something, sometimes it's better to be a me too with a niche or a me too with better execution than to go, oh, I have this, like, even if you have, like, the most awesome idea in the world. I mean, like, the first internet browsers, I mean, they're all gone. Yeah. You know, I mean, so... Um, the people that are left standing don't necessarily tend to be the first to market. And I think it, it maybe sounds sexy that you have a new idea, but it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder, in my opinion, to make it with a new idea than it is to out-execute on an existing one. Usually the um, it's not the first person in the markets that's successful. If you ever look across um, most of the um, um, new so-called new businesses over the last 15 years or so, none of them were first to market. They all um, 
came into the market after someone else had done the hard yards. I, I worked for a, um, a multi-billionaire once um, as the marketing director, and he used to say, the one thing that you never want to do is get into the business of trying to educate the market. It's very expensive, and somebody will come along and just pick up where you left off and be a success. And it's true. Right. Well, um, what's that? I don't know who originally coined this phrase, but, you know, the definition of a pioneer is a guy face down in a mud puddle with an arrow in his back. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I have never heard that before, but I'm going to use it from now on. But, but it's funny because people are like, oh, he's pioneering. It's like, yeah, great. Well, you know, there's an arrow destined for him um, because I, I, I think it and it's I mean, it's exactly what your um, you know former colleague said. I think people underestimate the difficulty. Like if you say the word donut, everybody listening has an idea in their mind of what a donut is. Sure. You know, but if you come up with something brand new, forming that idea in their head isn't easy and especially today when there's so many there's the market like the channels of marketing and everything have become much more complex getting that information out is become even more difficult than before i mean it's easier to get into a marketing channel i mean because of social media etc but it's but it's more difficult to be heard because there's a lot of noise out there yeah so. yeah and and it is extremely difficult to differentiate yourself today. I mean, it's always been hard and it's always been everybody's, um, you know, first thought is how do I differentiate myself? But today it really is getting more difficult because there's there's more and more um, weird, wonderful and wacky things out there to compete with. Absolutely. So... I think one of the other issues with um, entrepreneurs that I find is that a hell of a lot of entrepreneurs want to get out there with their new product, have it for 12 months, flock it to somebody for multi-millions of dollars and go and lie on the beach somewhere and be fanned by beautiful girls feeding them grapes. Um, There's not as many people, not as many entrepreneurs that think, I want to get in this, I want to be in it for the long haul, I want to build and establish, you know, I want to build and establish a solid business. Um, people tend to be much more short-sighted in my, in my experience. Well, I'd have to say that the real money, in, in my opinion anyhow, is the, the biggest challenge, because I agree with you. I mean, there's, I certainly enjoy the idea phase. The, the ideas and coming up with new stuff, that's much more fun and interesting True. But the money is the money is in execution. The money is in taking social jukebox and getting a hundred thousand more users. You know, the money is in <clears throat> getting your idea to become the dominant idea. I mean, Bezos had a great idea when Amazon was just a bookseller. Yeah. Right. But by staying in the game, and I mean, now they had an idea to share server space because they had such like surplus of server space because of building server farms. So now, I mean, their biggest business is the cloud, at least as a, on, a re- on a revenue basis. So, sure. I mean, when people think, oh, I want to have all this, I'm not saying it's not possible. But in my opinion, the real big returns tend to be from putting up with the boring slog of making something better. I mean, I spend every day dealing. I do all the support for Social Jukebox myself. Right. 
And one of the benefits of that is I get to see the product through the customer's eyes. So it's the boring slog of going through and checking what they're talking about and then tweaking and tweaking and making the product a little bit better, a little bit better. But when you do that, you don't necessarily see each day as some kind of revolution. But what you may end up with at the end of the year will be because you've managed to take the rough edges off the stone. So all of a sudden, you know, what looked like just a rough diamond before is now quite polished and nice just by virtue of being in the game, staying in the game, listening to your customers, iterating. I mean, so, you know, that's that's how you build momentum and build a base. I mean, I think there's a chance, you know, that people will make it, but uh, with these kind of short-sighted plans, but those are outliers. That's why they make the news. When somebody comes up with a new idea and it quickly gets bought for a zillion bucks, it's in the news because it never happens. Yeah, that's true. So, but don't, don't you come down to work-life balance for, for most people? Because, you know, being Bezos is one thing. You know, he's working 80 hours a week. He has been now for 30 years. He's not as young as he was anymore, and a hell of a lot of good parts of life have missed passing by. Sure, he's got $100 billion, but at what cost? Well, I completely agree with that. Um, but I think the challenge is, like, like with my business, I mean, I'm, I'm very occupied, but last week I was in um, Bologna and Portofino and uh, the Cinque Terre coast of Italy, and I'm back in Poland for a week. But I was working there, I mean, using my phone and, and, and my laptop. But I was still going out and doing things yeah. and having a great time. And then I came back here and now I'm, I am doing more work because I'm back kind of at home, so to speak. Yeah. But uh, next next week I'll be in Sicily for a week goofing around. And I mean, I'll still do support and I'll still work on the product and I'll still interact with people. But I mean, I think you just have to make a conscious decision. And perhaps that's actually the rub, you know, what we're talking about here about staying in the game. Yes, if, if the idea is I'm going to work a hundred million, you know, I'm going to work the maximum number of hours. And I'm going to do it for a year. I mean, that's not sustainable. No, it's not. And, and if you do find a buyer, if you, if you're working like nutty hours to the point where, you know, you're just like getting burned out, you're likely to make a horrible deal because you just want the thing out from around your neck. Yeah. But it's if got, you, it's gone. no, but if you have a business that's more sustainable, where, you know, you've built it with the idea of, you know, is this something I could like really want to do long term? You can stay in the business and build it properly. And if somebody wants to buy it, you're not you're not going to feel compelled to get rid of it because you're so tired of dealing with it. I think it's, a conscious, it's a conscious decision, though, isn't it, to give yourself time off? Like, um, you know, I'm a speaker as well. And, you know, I'm up around the 2000 odd speeches, but we make sure that now that Anybody that books us, we stay in the place for four or five days. You know, you speak for an hour, you have the other, the rest of the time off, we go exploring and we go, you know, do all the sites. But that's a conscious decision. You can't do as much work, but you um, you probably enjoy it much more and therefore a better presenter at the end of the day. But don't make as much money. Well, but then, I mean, there's a question about, like even when I sold Omega... I mean, a lot of people are like, hey, if you stay in it, you'll make even more. I'm like, 
Um, <laughs> there's only so much food I can eat. I can only be in one house at a time. I mean, I think people have this idea and, you know, everyone's got to decide for themselves. But from my perspective, like they, there's these like posters, whatever, whoever dies with the most toys wins. And I couldn't disagree more. I think the more, sh- can I, anyhow, the more stuff you have. I don't give a fuck what you say. Yeah, the more <laughs> shit you have. I mean, it's just an anchor. It's just an anchor. It's more stuff for you to worry about. It's more stuff for you to take care of. And, you know, I think it, there's far more to life just to be able to be satisfied with having enough to maintain a nice lifestyle. Sure. You don't need to. You know, And you certainly don't need billions to do that. That's true. So, uh, I mean, not even close. Of all the projects that you've been in and around and involved with, what is the biggest challenge, the number one challenge that most entrepreneurs face? Ooh, um, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different things at different phases. I mean, I think, you know, the one thing we alluded to in the beginning, I mean, when you're getting started is just having people even know that you exist. Um, you know, because it, it'll be very much at the forefront of your mind, but it may not be at the forefront of anyone else's. That's right. Um, and you can it won't be. but so you have that, you know, I mean, in the first stage, you have kind of the awareness issue. and But then as I think as things go on, it's, and this is just from my own experience, I think that, that there's a huge temptation to branch off into stuff you know nothing about. And you see it happen in companies all the time. You can tell like the founder or the owner has gotten bored and it's like, when I when when I ran Omega, people were like, "Oh, we could do this kind of investigation because we just did insurance fraud surveillance. That was it." Right. And people say, "Oh, well, we could do domestic investigations like cheating spouses." I'm like, "Yeah, well, we could probably make money selling socks, but that doesn't make a great idea." Yeah. Um, and by staying focused in one thing, we knew a lot about and we had processes for, we were able to grow faster and cleaner. But of course, there were times where you just get really bored with doing that. And I think that's probably one of those, like the siren song, kind of how entrepreneurs end up on the rocks. I think you start extrapolating your talent set or your skill set to that you're going to be good at everything. So you start doing stuff you don't know anything about. Yep. And then all of a sudden you go, hey, what happened to the business? <laughs> yeah. Good idea is to stick to your knitting, as they used to say. Um, yeah. Have you had to chase money to... Um drive some of these businesses? Fortunately not. Um, I've, I mean, the, the only, at Omega, we had a bank line, but I mean, those, we were fortunate in that when we were looking for money, um, credit was, I wouldn't say it was like easy. I mean, we had to do a little poking around, but, yeah. um, but we, you know, like, I mean, the, these stories I hear about people going out and doing road shows and raising equity, and I never yes. did anything like that. That's hard, Yakka. It is, and it's soul destroying too, because you're out there pushing your idea, which you're very proud of, and person after person after person says, "No, I don't think so." Um, but unfortunately, today it's necessary because you can burn through money very quickly. Well, I would say though that there's a there's there may be something to be said for. Because I get people that like approach me all the time. They're like, oh, you know, I need money to start a business. I'm like, if you're brand new, why don't you start, why don't you get your chops by doing something, like I said, like take an existing business and figure out how to run something that already exists. 
before you like go off on a new idea and if, with your first business, I mean, don't stack the odds against yourself. Um, and there's, cause there's a ton of businesses, especially today with all the like software as a service, renting space in the cloud. I mean, there's a lot of businesses today where you can get started without a ton of capital. Um, you gotta be a little more clever about it, but you can, you can skate with a lot less money today, um, than you did before. And if it's a good idea, if it truly is an idea that's going to get traction, then you ought to be able to see that relatively early. Um, where you can get at least kind of Raymond Noodle profitability. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but if you can't get that, I mean, if you if the sure. only way for your idea to work is to be a multi-billion-dollar idea, then you know you probably have a problem. You certainly have a problem. Okay, people talk a lot about hustle. Yeah, I look back on my life. I think I've been hustling all my business life. But how is hustle a key element of success? Well, this is a, a, like a touch point with me because it gets talked about so much and I, I absolutely hate that word. Um, and I hate it for a reason because I, I associate it with people who claim to be super busy. Oh, yeah, I'm hustling, man. I'm doing all this stuff. Just because you're busy doesn't mean you're getting shit done. It just means that you're a, a guy who's drowning is really, really busy. <laughs> He's, he's, he's very busy and he's about to die. Um, so, I mean, the idea that more activity is going to salvage you is really false. And I, and I hear when I hear the kind of this sort of devotion to the idea of being hyper busy. Look, I lived in Sweden for a few years and I can tell you that their desire to make sure they have like a decent family life. I mean, they're very focused on doing things that matter. And I think there's a lot to be said for the approach of, you know, activity doesn't equal results. And, you know, if you stand back and look at where can I do something that will move my business forward, there's no question you have to work. I mean, I haven't found a business yet where, you know, you just like turn the key and it just like drives off on its own. But the idea that that the only way you're going to make it is by being constantly, frantically busy. I mean, there's two things. One, I don't think that's true. And two, to your earlier point about lifestyle, I think you're you may you may end up making some money, but I think you're going to be miserable because if, if the only thing you're ever doing is running around chasing your business, I mean, what kind of life is that? I agree. Now, how long were you involved with Omega? Just under seven years, and it grew very quickly so what allowed it to to grow so quickly were you just um in the right place at the right time or did you have to knock off a lot of competitors along the way or were you just smarter than the average duck well um in the land of the blind you can say the latter if you wish no but in the land of the blind the one-eyed man is king um and i think this is again a Look, there were a zillion people, and there continue to be a zillion people in the investigative business. It's a business that requires very little startup capital. In many places in America, you don't even need a license. Or if you do need a license, the the just gargantuan hurdle to getting a license is that you've never been convicted of a felony. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> you know, that's setting the bar super high. Um, so... You know, it's super easy to get into, but just because there's a lot of people in a business doesn't necessarily mean that that's a tough business. It just means there's a lot of participants. Right. And so, I mean, 
you know, if you go to a running race, but everyone else has one leg and you have two, um, you've got pretty good odds. And um, I would say that in a lot of ways, that was the case with that business is it was um, if you know the book, The E-Myth, yes. there were a lot of there are a lot of people in the investigative business that have a background in law enforcement. Um, and so they're very good investigators. But that doesn't mean they're very good at building an infrastructure for a business. So we were sorry. Yeah. But so, so anyhow, we were able to like by being better business people, we were able to build processes and, and build a business that was more than just one guy doing great investigative work. So do you, how did you differentiate yourself um, or did you just allow the fact that you were so good at business and so um, technologically proficient or whatever to, to carry the day for you? Well, I think in the beginning, I mean, because what does carry the business is ultimately they, they want to see that you've got good investigative chops. So we needed to make sure we had that. But very quickly, the way we ensured that continued as we grew was by having like really good processes. And right. because my the metaphor I always use is, you know, I mean, if you get a Big Mac in Tokyo or you get a Big Mac in Shanghai or you get a Big Mac in London or in San Diego, they all taste the same. Now, you can dispute all day long or discuss all day long whether it tastes good or not, but, but they do taste the same. But that's the, that's the result of very, very stringent processes around how the thing is made and the, and the, and the components that it's made from. And I think if you, you, can, you can put that into any service. And by doing that, we came up with a fairly narrow bandwidth of quality um, in terms of what got done when we did an investigation for you. So – that level of reassurance. I mean, we maybe weren't the best investigator on every single case, but if you if you gave us a job, you could have a fairly high degree of certainty that the the job got done. Maybe there was someone who could do it marginally better, but probably wasn't worth looking around to find them. So, was your growth mainly word of mouth, or did you have to flog the shit out of it? We flogged the shit out of it. Um, it always works. <laughs> well, but, but I mean, uh, that business, like insurance, at least at the time, insurance adjusters were making most of the assignments. So, I mean, there was a lot of, you know, kissing babies and, you know, going to trade shows and meeting these people and being in their pocket on an ongoing basis to, like, talk to them about, you know, do they have any work for us? So, and that was probably one of the other big things that helped us grow is we just were very good at finding good salespeople and training them. So where does um, Social Jukebox go from here? Wow, that's a good question. Um, you know, um, we, we started as Tweet Jukebox. We started out when we went to a paid version. We had just over 500 clients. And now, you know, we've got closer to 2,000. Um, and... Um, I mean, I'm doing things to continue to grow it, but I can't honestly say I'm not super energized to make it into some gargantuan thing because I kind of like being like having my hands around the whole thing. Sure. And part of that's because I've got money in the bank from Omega, right? Yeah. Um, but it still provides me a very nice living and I can do it from anywhere. I'm engaged. I enjoy it. So. I don't. I'm, I, I, of course, I mean, I'd love it to grow, but I, 
I don't know that I'm necessarily um, hyper driven to turn it into some kind of like gigantosauric machine. Okay, so where does Tim Fargo go from here? I'm having a great time just traveling, running my business, and hanging out with my kids. I mean, I really am. You know, I'd love to say, like, well, you know, the next phase is going to be I'm going to build a rocket ship, and we're going to go to Saturn. (laughs) Um, I think somebody's already trying that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, not my cup of tea. Um, I mean, everyone's got, like, what they want to do, and no one can kind of decide for someone else. But for me, my kids, I have triplets, and they just got out of high school, so... I'm kind of busy helping them get the trajectory they want on their own lives, and Saving I'm glad to have the time to college. be able to do that. <laughs> well, but the thing I want to make sure I do, I mean, that's a fair goal is to get them doing that, but I think an even better goal is to make sure that whatever they get into is something they want to stay at and that will provide a living for them. Because if it doesn't, I may need to. So, <laughs> Tim, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, you can learn more about Social Jukebox and Tim Fargo at socialjukebox, exactly as it sounds, dot com. That's socialjukebox.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Network. We're broadcasting today from Melbourne in Australia, and you've got a great voice and a great attitude, that Tim Fargo. He's really laid back and relaxed and very cool. I like him. One of the reasons that so many businesses fail is that the entrepreneur tries to wear too many hats. You know, and understand why no money, very difficult to employ a whole bunch of people. And so you've got to be everything to everybody. You've got to be the accountant. You've got to be the salesperson. You've got to be the administrator. You've got to be the creator. You've got to be the whole lot. And um, it's too hard to do. Running a business successfully is a very complex task, as you can tell by the fact that only three or four out of every hundred businesses succeed. That's pretty small percentage, isn't it? And uh, to, and that's mainly because few people are capable of, of running a business across all facets. There's an old saying that a team's only as strong as its weakest link, and that's really true. And that's why it's so critically important to take a lot of care to build your team. You know, close friends, a lot of people surround themselves with close friends, and they may be cheap, and they might be loyal, but how good is cheap and loyal if you go broke? It ain't. So team building's a time-consuming process, and the selection of people with the right talents and the right personalities, I mean, that's hard. It takes a lot of time and effort. You know, talented people come across millions of talented people. They're a dime a dozen. 
Um, but trying to meld them into a cohesive team, well, that's something different completely. And it's important to um, ensure that all of the team have similar values and goals and fit the company's culture. It's, um, it's really di- just getting people to have the same values and goals is really difficult. And the wrong person can spread like a cancer. You know, it affects the company and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So while the right fit will build the company and uh, act like a catalyst, a bad egg will really destroy it. And it only takes a few bad actions to really mess up your business. If you look at big companies, Jeff Bezos, he didn't build Amazon alone. Mark Zuckerberg didn't build Facebook alone. Elon Musk didn't build a space rocket or the best electric car ever built. And Steve Jobs really didn't invent anything at all. But they all had a vision, skills, and the leadership qualities to build fantastic teams who then went about building great products. Uh, Mike Lazardaris didn't screw up BlackBerry alone. He had a lot of help. Jeffrey Skilling didn't send Enron down the tubes alone. They had poor, unmotivated teams with no strong guidance to help them screw up those companies. And everybody says that they want and need to attract the right talent. You hear it everywhere. Everybody that I speak to, all the startups that I speak to are all out there to uh, attract the right talent, and they've all got the great people, and they're all fantastic, but most of them all go broke. So when you look at somebody, do they have the skill sets you need? But not only that, do they have the character traits that fit with your corporate culture? Do you even know what your corporate culture is? A lot of people don't. So how do you, you know, how do you go about identifying potential employees you just grab the first person who fits your skill requirements because that sure as hell ain't going to work you need to identify a range of people who have the skills to do what you need them to do ensure they're all self-motivated and then make sure that they're eager to learn and are team players so and i'm a great believer in having um a think tank session with your potential employees and, and have that with your current team so that they get a say in who gets employed. And then after that, select the person that best fits your team culture and have the team contribute to who they think the best person would be. Now, they're not always right. You have always can, can override them, of course, but... It's um, it's a great start. Now, when you when you understand the talents of the person that you're bringing on, are you sure they're in the right role? You might have to adjust your roles. You might have to move people around so that you get maximise their skills. And you need to make these decisions very carefully. Take your time. Don't rush it. And uh, I think that involving your team helps you ensure that the skills and personalities will mesh because your company is a reflection of the skills and the character and personality of you, your leadership, and your team. If um, 
it's finely oiled, working to a strong compass, you're on your way to success. Otherwise, you're one of the four out of 100 that succeed. Uh, sorry, you're one of the 96 out of 100 that fail. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. And if you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know how amazing you can be by being different. Everybody's normal. They're boring as batshit. So I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I'll again be broadcasting from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in warm, sunny Los Angeles and where entrepreneurs just keep pumping out great products. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.